Hey everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hey everyone and welcome to Pixels. My name is Patrick Beja and we're going to be talking about video games today as we do every couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about games on PC, on Switch, on consoles, on everything and news from the industry, uh, what we try to do on this uh, show. I wasn't going to do an episode this week, to be honest. Uh, we had a number of scheduling issues, I've been traveling, so I figured maybe I could skip this episode. But then I played a couple of games that were pretty interesting and uh, there are, you know, I figured we're going to be doing a quick one and uh, talk about, discuss very quickly a few of the industry news because there's some interesting stuff that's been happening. Um, overall, I didn't think I was going to do one and then I couldn't help myself, I guess is the way you can uh, describe this episode. But it's going to be an episode where I'm alone um, because of all of those, that, that traveling and, and, um, scheduling issues I was talking about. So hopefully you still get something out of it. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Sekiro, which I played for about an hour. I'm going to be talking about Baba Is You, which is kind of a crazy puzzle game I'm uh, excited to discuss. And we're going to talk about EA, about Google, about uh, the Master Chief Collection and a bunch of other things. So strap in and I hope you enjoy the ride. We're going to start with Sekiro. Um, Sekiro is the latest game from From Software, uh, of course, the developer of the Dark Souls series and uh, Bloodborne, all of those uh, games that you, of course, know and either love or hate. And it's coming out in just a couple of days towards the end of the week on the 22nd. And I think we've heard a lot from people who have uh, who who have a history in that series, and you know, the, all of the, their games are more or less in the same spirit of uh, being difficult games that have redefined uh, a section of gaming for for everyone ever since they started. And I, I think we've heard, as I was saying, from a lot of people who love the game, uh, who love these games but not so much from people who don't. And I am squarely in that second category. If you remember in the late, in, in the previous episode, I was discussing uh, um, with Jason and saying that I would love to love them. And I feel like I'm missing something, but so I'm not like completely closed to the idea of those games, uh, but I don't, I, it didn't click for me. And that, that moment that a lot of people talk about with the game clicking hasn't happened for me. So uh, I got an opportunity to play Sekiro for about an hour. There was a, uh, a free demo station in one of the stores next to my place uh, in Paris. And it was an opportunity to play it for about an hour, which is not a lot of time, but it does give you a little bit of a sense. It was essentially the demo from Gamescom, which a lot of people have uh, played then. And again, I, I, I think it gives you enough of a, a little bit of a look to at least know in which direction you're headed. So if you're thinking that, oh, why did this start? The Siri on my 
watch started uh, <laughs> listening to everything I was saying. That was weird. Uh, so for for people who love the game, I think it's going to be um, okay. Let me think about how to put this. I played it for about an hour. Um, it is a game that is that started out as a Tenshu game. So um, Tenshu is, of course, a ninja uh, game where it's all about stealth and infiltration and stuff like that. And it evolved into something a little bit closer to uh, the, the From Software games, the traditional ones. But it didn't go all the way, at least not in some sections of it. Uh, so it's not a stealth game, but okay... <laughs> I'm saying this a lot, sorry. I think there are really two very distinct parts of the game, at least in the level I've played. There's the uh, regular enemies, which are relatively easy to deal with, especially if you're going uh, stealth. And the, the, the game system has a lot to do with parrying. You press the parry button at the right moment to um, deflect your enemy's attack. And most of the attacks can be deflected. And if you do that, obviously, you're going to deal with the uh, smaller enemies very quickly to the point that it doesn't feel as much uh, like a difficult game because in Bloodborne, the first enemies can destroy you. And yes, it can happen here too, but it's much easier to get around that difficulty. Not literally go going around the, the small enemy, um, but to get around the... the uh, to just master that aspect of the game with the small enemies. So very quickly you're going to be uh, using all of the tools that you have in the game. You have the grappling hook that makes you very mobile. You can uh, stealth around and kill the enemies in one, in one, uh, uh, one go, one strike. Uh, you have like mini bosses that are a little bit more difficult but even them, maybe it's because I got used to those kinds of enemies in, in Bloodborne. I guess it's possible. But even then, you know, you you can parry and you can... So if you parry, you're going to parry your, most of the enemy's attacks. If you just parry, pressing at the right time on the parry button, you're going to deflect. But you can also roll away. And, and so you have a number of tools um, to avoid incoming attacks. And that is... The, the game before the bosses. Um, once you get to the boss, and uh, I got to the boss and I managed to take one health bar away from that boss, it is a lot more challenging. It is a lot closer to uh, the things you see in the Dark Souls or Bloodborne games. It, it feels like the game has almost two modes. Um, the... The, or two sections, like the easy section, which again is not as easy as any other beat em up games, but much easier, at least to me, it felt much more approachable than uh, Bloodborne. And then the boss, which is brutal. Like it, it will, it is just as brutal as it is in regular uh, previous From Software games. And that can be a little bit discouraging, I think. I, I put everything I had into the the fight and I didn't manage to beat uh, the boss. I only took him one health bar. And that was 
it wasn't abusing the game mechanics. I was using, I was just using all the tools I had. Um, you have your prosthetic arm, which can shoot fire, and that uses kind of an ammunition currency you have. And I used almost all of them. And that meant that for the second and third bar, first of all, there's a transition um, in the fight where the the boss goes berserk, essentially, and you have to try and avoid him as much as you can. Um, and that was surprising and, and frustrating. And then I don't know what the second phase is because the the... I guess the boss changes phases. Maybe it's exactly the same, um, but I don't know that I could beat him on the second uh, life, on the second bar of life, without the tools that I had used in the first one. You have a, a flamethrower that uh, uh, essentially sets your sword on fire, which does a lot more damage. Um, I guess maybe I can get to it when I can use it when... Or I can beat him if I get bang my head against the wall uh, like I did in Bloodborne for the first couple of bosses. And then maybe it does become trivial. Um, but I don't know. It's like the same difficulty that you see in those games I was finding in this boss, but not in the rest of the game. Um, the game also explains itself to you a lot more, which is uh, removes a lot of the frustration from the uh, previous... Uh, from software games. So overall, I'm not even sure what to think about it. It's a, it's a friendlier uh, from software game, but it's not, it's still, you still have some of that frustration. Um, I guess some people are going to be like me and think, should I try it and finally understand what the from software games are? And I don't know what to answer to those people. I think if you've been completely closed to those games, if you've tried them and you're like, this is not for me, this is a type of game that I will never get into, then Sekiro is probably not going to be for you either because you're going to play through the first level and start having fun and start using the grappling hook and start stealthing around and, and master the game. And then you're going to come across the boss and you're going to hate everything about your life. <laughs> so um, I would say this is probably not a game for you if you're in that situation. Uh, obviously, if you love the, the previous games, you're going to love it. So I'm not even going to address that. I think you're going to jump into it. You've already pre-ordered it and you can't wait. You're counting the days and hours until you can play it. So for you, you don't need me to tell you uh, what I think about it. Um, the third category, though, is people who are on the outside looking in, a little bit like myself, who, who are thinking, you know, I would love to love those games, but I don't, and maybe this one is going to be it for me. And I think for that category of people, which might be uh, uh, quite large, I think it might be interesting to give it a try. Um, if you can spend uh, 60 bucks or maybe wait until it's on sale in a, few, in a couple of months... Um, but I think it might be interesting for you to give it a try because it is more welcoming. Not very much, but there is, uh, uh, in, in the way it explains the game and in the way it welcomes you into uh, the, the, the arenas, in, in the, the difficulty ramps up a lot more. You're probably not going to die more than once or twice before you get to the boss. Um, 
which is again a very different experience from Bloodborne. So, well, I mean, this is just my experience with one hour with a game. It might be very different uh, if I when I get a chance to play more. I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm gonna buy it yet. We'll see. Um, so many games, as we always say, but um, I, I'm not gonna give you a judgment on all of that. All I can do is tell you how I felt with those different sections and how it would affect the different kinds of crowds that might be interested in it. So, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm still not sure what to think about it. We'll see. Um, the, the second game I wanted to talk about is Baba Is You, which if you're a, a, an avid gamer... I'm pretty sure you've heard the name uh, uh, bandied about in the past few days because it's been making some uh, noise. It's a puzzle game, a tiny indie puzzle game um, that a lot of people have been talking about because it's a, uh, a, a an original, not eye-opening, but mind-expanding kind of game. Um, the... The, the the core principle of it, so it's pixel graphics, very indie style game. Uh, the core principle of it is that you have, uh, you're a, a little creature, kind of looks like a rabbit, uh, it, which is a baba. And you um, have a, a, a level that is closed and you have different elements in the level that you can push around. And some of those elements are words, and some of them are... I mean, you have tons of things like grass, walls, doors, keys, etc. And uh, some of the elements that you can push are words that describe the elements in the level. And some of them are operators, like is, is the first one. You'll find others in a subsequent level, like and, etc. And... When you push together uh, two words with an operator, you form a sentence that affects the level. So, for example, if you have uh, one word which is wall, you have is, and you have stop. So, wall is stop means that all the walls in the level will stop you for progress- from progressing. You will just... Uh, not be able to pass through the wall. But if you push around uh, one of the elements, then you have destroyed the wall is stop. And so the walls don't stop you anymore. So you can pass through them. Um, The main one is Baba is you. And Baba is the little uh, rabbit-like creature. And if you push away as Baba, if you push away one of the words from that sentence, then the game stops because you is no one anymore. So Baba is not you and nothing is you. So the game is is finished. And you can go back, of course, from... Uh, you can back go backwards on all of your... Like rewind, essentially, um, all of your actions in the level so once you get stuck you can just rewind and you make a different choice um and i'm i'm not gonna spoil uh many of the uh, i'm not gonna spoil the the uh the the 
key elements of the puzzle game, but I guess you see the picture. Uh, you get the you get the picture. It's it plays with all of this in ways that are incredibly. I, I guess surprising is the word I would use. Um, it's a game that a lot of people have mentioned things like The Witness or other puzzle indie games, which I don't quite uh, agree with. I'm, the, oh, I guess, yes, it is comparable in some respects. But the thing I, 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 that it evoked to me, and that might be very per- personal, um, is uh, Portal. It it might be surprising to some people, but it has the same kind. It's a very different kind of game. It's still a puzzle game, of course, but you know the the first person environment is in Portal makes it uh, very different. And of course, you have the entire narrative of Portal, which is a huge uh, draw to the game uh, with Glados and and the, what's happening in the world and all of that. But there there are some moments in portal where you do something and it's it's not just a oh that's what the solution to the puzzle was that's the standard uh reaction to finding the solution to a puzzle in a puzzle game you're like oh okay i get it now i didn't before but now clearly i mean i understand how it was in portal when you find solutions your 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 mind kind of explodes like this is outside of what I thought, of what my consciousness could comprehend, you know? And to an extent, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but to an extent, there are some ways in which Baba Is You uses its very simple core mechanics that evoke the same kind of feelings in me, at least. It's, It's not just a puzzle game where I have to put the pieces together. It's that the pieces can be rearranged into like a a house where I have to go and sit down and drink tea. And that's the solution to the puzzle. You know, it's like, it's, it's very weird and very different from what we've seen before. Um, so... Again, I'm not going to spoil beyond this. If you if this seems interesting to you, I would recommend you go uh, uh, buy it. It's like twelve bucks on uh, Switch and PC. Obviously, the Switch is as always the preferred uh, platform for these kinds of games. I will say, however, um, the developer I just found out I, as I was uh, preparing preparing for this episode, the developer is uh, RV Tekari. Um, because he's Finnish uh, so he's just essentially he's one person and this is a very indie game as I said it was developed in a game jam initially and the concept was expanded to make a um, this uh, uh, actual release it it's not there are some moments the game is really well thought out really interesting in, in, in many many ways there are some moments where I wish the 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 core mechanics of some parts of the game were brought into uh the the into the puzzles and the logic of the puzzles a little bit better sometimes it's like well i i found this but it was kind of by chance there was no way i could have understood that this did that um but it's very minor and it's very 
it's minimal. It is some elements of the games that are, it's not all of them, but it's, it, I, I have to mention it because it struck me a couple of times. But even if you don't go through all of the, what is it, 200 levels, I think it's interesting as something new to explore and uh, discover. So the name is Baba Is You, and it is a really interesting puzzle game. And I'm not usually a fan of puzzle game. I I like them well enough for a little bit, but I get bored uh, and go back to more arcadey kind of things. So um, yeah, Baba Is You is kind of a fun little thing. All right, let's move on to game news now. Um, EA has announced that they are not going to be doing a traditional press conference at E3, which a lot of people have taken to uh, be another nail in the coffin of E3 with uh, Sony not being there. And EA was never there. I mean, they they left E3 a long time ago. They they had their own um, EA Play uh, conference. But they had a press conference, which to everyone who wasn't at E3, which means the, the overwhelming majority of gamers, it didn't really change anything. Um, being at E3 or not being at E3 didn't change much for us if EA was doing a press conference anyway. They're not going to do that this time, and they're going to have multiple live streams, which is a weird way of approaching it. I, I guess it's the Nintendo route, which works very well for Nintendo and could work for EA as well. It could mean that the people who want to watch the the stream about the um, many sports games will do that, and those who don't care about them will not have to to slug through them. Um, they're going to have probably an Apex, uh, Apex Legends <laughs> stream. Um, I don't know. They're going to have maybe sports and non-sports, or maybe sports, non-sports, Anthem and Apex, Le- and Apex Legends. Um, and of course, Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order, which is going to be revealed in April next month at the Star Wars Fest. I can't remember the name of that thing, but... Um, it's going to be revealed, and I'm guessing they're going to do a deep dive at E3. Um, game is developed by Respawn, of course, so with the success of Apex Legends, which they also developed, um, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of eyes on, on that game uh, if there weren't enough already. But um, yeah, so I, I don't think... I think I've said that a couple of times. I don't think it means E3 is is dead in any way. I think these kinds of things are the types of communications you do when you don't necessarily want uh, to grab the general press, uh, the general media. When you want to talk to dedicated um, gaming media, then not having a press conference is fine. But if you do want to talk, if you have something bigger to announce, like Microsoft is going to give details about its next console then you do want to have the general media. And that is something you you can't really uh, not have. A big press conference, probably at E3 because everyone is already there. Um, So I guess it's one other tool they're going to be able to use in their communication strategy. Um, And sometimes you'll have a big press conference and sometimes you won't. But I don't think it's totally going to go away because it still draws a lot of people and a lot of media. So we'll see what happens in the next few years. But I would suspect, for example, that Sony will be back at A3, as I said, uh, next year. But we'll see. 
Um, talking about EA, uh, Anthem keeps having issues, and they've renewed their commitment to the game, but I've talked about it a few times since the game was launched, and I don't want to uh, kick... Uh, uh, how's the... How does the saying go? Kick a dead horse? <laughs> um, so, you know what? I'm not going to. Um, still having problems. Um, all right, let's talk about Google for a second. Uh, they announced that Jade Raymond... Uh, Jade Raymond? Is that how you pronounce her name? I always pronounce it in French, so I'm not sure. Uh, essentially, former Ubisoft um, employee. She was the one of the uh, big producers, if not the producer, behind uh, Assassin's Creed. And uh, she she's one of the most visible um, faces in the gaming industry, probably mainly because she was one of the uh, first um, uh female developers and producers that got a, a, sh a spotlight uh, shown on her and a very capable person. She went to a motive and um, went through a number of different studios uh, with big jobs all over. Um, now she's joining Google, which is clearly a sign that Google is in it for the long haul or is going to be... Uh, pushing their gaming service, which they're going to announce very soon, um, very much. I mean, they already had hired a number of other people, Phil Harrison being the, the most uh, notable one. So it's not like it was there was any doubt that they were serious. But it's when you start having that many big names, um, it is it's important to take notice or like it sends a signal because you are not just doing this service as sometimes Google does. They create the service. They tell people, okay, go ahead, just do what you will, and then kind of wash their hands off of it. Um, I think this is another sign that it's more than, than just that. So we'll see what happens when we hear more about the service very soon as i said i think they're presenting it to gdc which is happening in in uh, just a week and a half is gdc on the 28th am i mistaken i think it is the i'm checking as i'm oh no it's starting now oh my god it's the 18th the 28th is something else um so yeah we'll have some news very very soon because google has a conference there that they're a talk that they're gonna be um produce introducing their um their service at which means by the time you listen to this you probably already know all there is to know about it so all right i'm gonna move on to the master chief collection coming to pc um on steam and on the windows store that is uh an interesting one. I think it's less momentous than a lot of people have been um, stating. Maybe it's because I'm, uh, you know, a, a European, uh, more PlayStation-y historically uh, person. Uh, even though I did get the Xbox 360 before the PlayStation 3, so eh, it's uh, it depends on the generation. But I think uh, uh, Halo while it is popular in Europe, is a little bit less of a craze than it is in the US. So it's a little bit less of a big thing for us. But still, it is an important moment for um, for 
Microsoft who continues to diversify their the ways in which you can get their products. Um, it's going to start, I believe, with Halo Reach, and then the other games are going to be added to the Master Chief Collection as time goes on. So, yeah, that's that's significant, but I don't think it is. Uh, it's just kind of, as I was saying earlier, another sign in the continuing trend that we've known for a little bit. Although, I guess... Master Chief on, on, on Steam is maybe more significant than I give it credit for. Um, there's a number of people that have been, uh, that got access to Days Gone. And that game, I think, is going to be, um, depending on the expectations you have for it, might be a good surprise. Uh, and the expectations are pretty low. If you don't remember, it's a zombie open world post-apocalyptic uh, game that is exclusive to the PlayStation 4. It's coming out in about a month at the end of um, April. And a lot of people who saw it over and over again at different presentations were starting to get the feeling that it's it's played out and it's tired and it's not going to be interesting at all. Um, and coming from that point, a lot of people who got a chance to play it were like, you know what? It's actually a pretty competent a game that does what it sets out to do. And I don't think it's going to be more than that, but I'm um, being a fan of open-world, zombie, post-apocalyptic narrative experiences. Uh, I think the game is going to be right up my alley, and I'm probably going to enjoy it, and I think a lot of people are also going to enjoy it. Um, it's not going to revolutionize anything, but it's, uh, uh, it's going to be a good time for those who enjoy these types of games. And that's more than I think a lot of people were starting to expect um, about the game. And since we're talking a little bit about communication in this uh, in this uh, episode, I think it was a, a masterful lowering of expectations from Sony for the game because they started talking about it a lot less. They had a few videos that were released that were relatively tame that we're pushing some of the interesting systems of the game but nothing too explosive and then they got people to tr to play it so since people aren't expecting uh you know god of war or some kind of incredible innovative revolutionary experience they're like yeah it's it's pretty good and the way they lowered those expectations was very clever because when you have a triple a um, a, a triple A exclusive title. You want to go all out, and you want to push it as much as you can to, you know, get value out of your investment. Um, it would have been very easy to make that mistake, to uh, show it over and over again more than they have, to trot out the developers when it was too early. I'm sure there will be developers interviews um, closer to the release, but when it was too early and get expectations up, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to note um, that aspect of the way they, they uh, approach communications, which could, you know, that could make or break the success of this game. I think as it stands, if they continue on that trajectory, it's going to be a pretty well-regarded game and it can, and it helps the PlayStation uh, brand so much now that we're in the last, let's say, couple of years of of focus. 
The PlayStation 4 is still the focus for Sony. We still have some games coming out, but it's very easy with the um, company taking a step back, not being at A3. It's very easy to think, oh, well, you know, the PlayStation 4 is kind of done. Everyone's looking at the PlayStation 5. But they still have a number of big games coming. Um, and with Days Gone being getting a, a you know a, a timid thumbs up but a thumbs up anyway if it does it's like yeah it's still the playstation 4 is still here and we'll get another big game probably towards the end of the year and another one in 2020 and then we can focus on playstation 5 um and of course that doesn't it's a very different concern than sales uh Sale numbers and number of games coming out, of course, the PlayStation 4 is still going to be the focus for a long time. But news-wise and communications-wise and what people are talking about and excited about, um, the, the focus is going to shift fairly soon within the next... Well, uh, to be honest, the focus is going to shift when Microsoft announces their next console. Um, and, and Sony, if they play their ca cards right... They're extending the positive outlook people have on PlayStation 4 um, until they've milked it as much as they can. And so it, with, you know, there's a lot of dominoes falling the right way, but in a small way, the way they've managed the communication about Days Gone um, helps that strategy. And so that's why I think it was a, a really interesting way of going about it not just for Ben Studios and the work they've done in that game, but for the PlayStation 4 strategy as a whole, which has been very well um, uh, uh, engineered from the beginning, really. Gearbox is going to announce um, is going to announce Borderlands 3 at PAX East. Oh, that's what's happening on the 28th. PAX East is on the 28th. Um, so... They've teased it, and for once, they're not denying that it's going to be uh, Borderlands 3, so it is going to be Borderlands 3. Now, we know. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if I... I don't know how much I want Borderlands 3. I want the idea of the fun I had in Borderlands 2, but it, I hope it's not just Borderlands 2 with prettier graphics. Um, I hope they change the formula a bit, which is always risky, of course, because you might change it so much that people don't like it anymore. But I think there's, uh, uh, if it's just Borderlands 2, it's going to be, yay, Borderlands 3, and then people play it a little bit and they, they, the focus gets taken away by, by other games and it doesn't see the, the card. That's the problem with sequels. If you do exactly the same thing, it, it, there's diminishing returns. And people get less and less excited about sequels. It's the Call of Duty issue, right? If you don't do Modern Warfare, which changes everything, then people get into the mode there and now, which is, well, it's the same game over and over again. It's fine, but eh, we're, we're not that excited about it. And here, a second episode kind of perfects the the fun things from the first one. So Borderlands 2 is kind of the 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 best. You very often the second one is the best in the series because you you never have time to finish everything you can in the first game you put out. So the second one is kind of a uh polished improved doubling down on the things that work version of the first one. 
The third one often feels like more the same, and that's where you get the downwards trend of, well, I mean, it's fun because I like that game, but it's it's not surprising me in the same way. And that can be fine. There are many games that are uh, great without reinventing the wheel, but I, I we've waited so long between Borderlands 2 and Borderlands 3, and I don't count the pre-sequel in this, uh, that I think it's um, important to have something that is not just Borderlands 2 with prettier graphics. But we'll see on the 28th. Uh, the Battlefield 5 Battle Royale mode, the Firestorm uh, mode is coming on the 25th. Uh, so if you like Battlefield 5, it's one of those things I think the Battle Royale inside a game that already exists is only going to interest the people who are already fans of that game, which is pretty obvious, but um, it still seems interesting. It's like you have vehicles that play more important roles than in other Battle Royales. You have a very wide map, etc. It's a very large map, um, Battlefield style. So it's cool, but for people who already have Battlefield 5, I feel. Um, no Man's Sky is getting a, another uh, update this summer. Uh, it's uh, described uh, as a radical new multiplayer component. And we don't know what it is, but they're still working on it, obviously. And there's going to be a huge uh, update this summer, multiplayer-focused. That's pretty interesting. Um, one that I'm actually really excited about, uh, Turtle Rock, which is the developer of the original Left 4 Dead, um, has announced that they're working... They, they did Evolve, which is the um, uh, one of the few... Um, asymmetrical shooters where there were four hunters and one monster and it turned out that it didn't really work out uh unfortunately some of them do work there's i think uh not until dawn i can't remember there's one of these like psycho killer shooters which um which works pretty well Evolve didn't really uh, catch fire. There were issues with uh, monetization as well. But anyway, Turtle Rock did the original Left Her Dead, and they're now uh, they've announced they're doing essentially another Left Her Dead. Of course, for people who don't know, um, Valve did Left Her Dead two, and essentially took that um, uh, uh, that IP. I don't know exactly what the deal was, uh, but Valve was the publisher, and then the, I think they developed Left 4 Dead do um, internally, and Turtle Rock didn't have anything to do with it, and so they were left without that IP. Um, they are calling their next game Back for Blood, um, with the four being the numerical four. It's really interesting because in the statement they've given they are specifically saying this is not a dead left for dead game this is we've we we have a lot of different ideas we are you know developing something completely different our goal is to um uh, uh, bring something new etc cetera, etc cetera. and yet they're call, they call their game obviously uh, Back for Blood, which is there to evoke Left for Dead. It's it's completely obvious, but it's really interesting. And and I think they should. 
I think they're saying, you know, we're going to be making the same type of game and you like the original, we are the ones who made it. That's an obvious way of getting people's attention. If they called it, you know, zombies uh, uh, brawling <laughs> or, you know, zombie survival, people wouldn't necessarily care as much. If it's back for blood, you're like, oh, wait, left for dead? Yeah, I want to play that. And it's completely fair. But it's funny that they're also going, you know, uh, uh, overboard in saying, we don't mean, you know, we are not doing Left 4 Dead. This is not a uh, a, a sequel or a reimagining or anything. Maybe I can find one of the quotes. Um, uh, yeah, they're saying, Back for Blood is our brand new IP. Uh, you'll be able to shoot a lot of zombies like in Left 4 Dead, but there's a whole new stuff in Black 4 Blood which makes it unique. It's hard to overstate what an awesome opportunity it is. We had to return to a genre that was born in our studio over 10 years ago. And, I mean, I'm not finding the right part. The developer uh, is... New features, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the statement was uh, making it sound like, yeah, this is it, Left 4 Dead, which... It kind of it kind of is. All right. Um, there's a new Shenmue trailer, uh, Shenmue Three, which is getting me to reconsider my opinion of um, of Shenmue, Shenmue Three. I was very critical of the way it was going, the graphics, and I was kind of dismissive. Um. But it turns out, according to this trailer, we'll see. I mean, the trailer is not the game. But it, the graphics are exactly what you would want if you love the original one and want updated, prettier graphics that are faithful to that original one. You don't want photorealistic. You want that, but that doesn't look like crap by today's standards. And they managed to do that. There's uh, some seemingly very competent VO, there's some narrative aspects, there's a fighting system. Um, I've said a few times Shenmue, Shenmue, the original one, was ambitious and interesting, but ultimately for me, it failed as a game because it was modeling real life so much that it felt like work. Um, but a lot of people love it, and it brought a lot of things to uh, the gaming industry and this feels like it will be a, a satisfactory sequel for the people who want one, which is was not my assessment at all until I saw that trailer. So again, this is just a trailer, not the game. We'll see what happens towards the end of August on the 27th when it releases. Maybe it will be uh, that, maybe it will be better, maybe it will be worse, but the trailer uh, kind of uh, made me rethink uh, what I my impressions on the game. Ninja was apparently paid a million dollars to promote uh, Apex Legends when it first launched. Um, so Ninja is, of course, the biggest streamer in the world. He's a um, Fortnite streamer. That doesn't take anything away from the success of Apex Legends, but if he was paid that much, you have to imagine they paid a lot of streamers to play it initially. And... That certainly played into the snowball effect that it had in the the first weekend. Um, the game being a great game certainly didn't hurt. I mean, 
with a bad game, they could have paid that much money and, and the thing would have died after a couple of days. Um, but it kind of shines an interesting light on that strategy. Um, oh, and, and just to be transparent about the source, I think it was Business Insider that got that tip. It's a rumor, but it seemed they're pretty confident uh, about it. And we knew, we always knew that um, that the streamers were paid to play Apex Legends as they are for every game. But it seems, well, not every game, but most games include that as part of their communication strategy to pay streamers to play their games. And hopefully it is disclosed all the time. Um, but that number puts more weight into this. If they paid him a million... They must have had a budget of at least a couple of million, right? You you would give a million to the biggest one and then spread uh, a few hundred thousands around to get I don't I can't imagine how many streamers they paid. Maybe it was a million for him to get him and you know 10 50 10 to 50 thousands for uh, uh five additional ones. It's possible, I don't know. Um but it's a lot of money to get for to 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 get to to your streaming budget um paid out i guess in the end valve is going to be looking at um review bombing essentially it wants to address the issue of review bombing which i think is is a good uh thing especially since the way they're going to do it is if you if you don't know review bombing is when you um when you are unhappy with a developer for a number of reasons there it happens uh because of let's say business practices for political stances for i guess those are the main two um if if reddit or the steam community doesn't like what you're doing with uh your your game uh, um with you know some monetization of the game or if they don't like what you're saying uh publicly if it's political then sometimes the community gets into a frenzy and review bombs your game so the, the, uh, thousands of people go and reduce the uh, uh and and rank it like one out of five or whatever um obviously that affects the performance of the game and Valve has said that they want to address this by when they detect these kinds of review bombs, it's very easy. They already have um, graphs that show the number of reviews uh, for a game, which when the game has been out for three months or two years and the reviews, you see like an increase in number of reviews tenfold or hundredfold. Obviously, it's something's happening. Um And so when that happens, they will check it out, see if it's indeed some review bombing, and if it is, they, they're not going to delete the reviews. They're going to leave them there. But for that period, none of the reviews that are posted, including the, the, the genuine ones, um, but there are going to be very few, none of the reviews are going to affect the overall score. And if you need the explanation, I mean, obviously, it that kind of behavior doesn't, it kind of, makes uh, 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 it distorts the goal of the of the ranking of the uh, grade because 
the grade is supposed to give you an idea of how much you're going to enjoy the game. And obviously, when people review bomb it because of uh, factors that are completely outside of it, um, you know, that is not going to be representative of the value of the game. So I think it's good that Valve is looking at this. It's good that they're not deleting entirely the review bombs, I suppose. Um, but it's an interesting uh, shift in the way they approach all of this because they famously said a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I'm sorry, maybe even a year ago, that they were going to take a hands-off approach on everything. And we all knew that this isn't sustainable. And we've had an example with that rape game we talked or didn't talk about last uh, episode. And this is an, kind of, to me, another example of this. It's not the same thing, but still. Uh, last couple of things. Uh, Diablo is being sold on Google Games. That's Diablo 1. And it is the only place you can get it. And it runs like it did back when it was first released. And it's the first of a collaboration between Blizzard and Google Games. If you don't know what Google Games do, uh, does, it's not just about uh, the... Um, the, the storefront, they really do a lot of work to get those games to work in our modern systems. It's There was a no-clip documentary, which I encourage you to go watch on YouTube. Fascinating stuff about how much they work at getting some of the games to run because those games, sometimes they don't have the source code. They have a few executables of a, the wrong version. They try to find uh, how it worked at the time, which is very difficult because the companies don't exist anymore. Who owns the IP, etc., etc.? Really a lot of work that goes behind all of this. And uh, Diablo is going to be available there. I suspect that at some point, uh, a Diablo remake is going to be made available on uh, the Battle.net app for Blizzard. But until then, um, the only way you can play Diablo, the original one, is uh, on good old games. Um, other games, as I said, are going to be available there from Blizzard. Um, Diablo 2 and the expansion are on sale on the Battle.net site. But uh, I don't think you can run those on the Battle.net app. So um, the others you can because, of course, StarCraft re was remade. Warcraft 3 is coming fairly soon. Uh, I suspect that Warcraft 1 and 2 will be uh, available on good old games as well in the future. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Snap is going to announce a gaming platform that is the mobile uh, story of the episode um, if you are interested in those. It's, it's important because Snap is massive or not as massive as it once was, but it's pretty big and um, they're going to be going the um, Line route. Line is another app that pushes games and that kind of uh, has a whole ecosystem unto itself. So... Snap, you know, Snapchat is going to have games. I suspect it's not going to be the games that we are interested in, but who knows? Maybe. Um, and even that might have an influence on the rest of the ecosystem, especially on mobile. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be uh, detailed on uh, April 4th is if the sources that Cheddar has are correct. Uh, oh, and finally, uh, the talking about streaming, I guess I could have talked about this earlier. Valve has uh, changed the system for Steam Link, and you can now use your Steam Link to stream games from your PC anywhere, not just on your local network. So if you have a Steam Link uh, device, which they were selling for like five bucks for a few months, um, or a Steam Link app on Android or on uh, Raspberry Pi, I believe, 
you can <clears throat> oh, sorry <clears throat> uh didn't see very well the you can use that team link outside of your house now the issue is of course you need to have a really good connection for it to work because streaming is dependent on the quality of your connection and if you're the one streaming um uh, it's it's gonna be uh i guess it's gonna be touch and go on how well it works but it is possible. So um, uh, local street or not local, but artisanal streaming services, I guess Steam already does it with your device's help, your, with your computer's help. All right, that is going to be it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me at uh, frenchspin.com. If you like this show, you can comment. You can find The Phileas Club, which is a more serious show. You can uh, check out as well. Um, and you can find me at NotPatrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, that's about it. We will be back in a couple of weeks with, well, a lot of stuff to discuss because uh, DDC and uh, PAX East will have happened. So it's going to be an exciting one in a couple of weeks. Talk to you then, everyone. Bye. up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.